Welcome back. This is the third in our Talking Bull um, Break Feed podcast, the short podcast from Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Seen and Heard program. We're looking at a time because they were supposed to be very short, but we've got yarning as you do. Um, but there's lots of good information. So this will probably be the third and final one. We'll see how we go. We're going to talk about a few little bits and pieces here around um, pasture management. Oh, not so much pasture management, but water supply management, fertiliser management, maybe some bits and pieces around fencing and those sorts of things. So one of the videos, Richard, um, you made some fairly significant changes to your stock water supply. Um, you looked at various options. What did you end up doing in terms of basically providing enough fresh water for the bulls when you're in your cell grazing system? Um, so I've just put in um, more pipe underground and have push in plugs mm-hmm. with generally 100 metres on, oh no, I wouldn't be sorry, 50 metres onto a portable trough which I tie around. Yep. It's labour intensive, especially when you're, you know, you got to shift them a wee way. Um, I would like to try the micro troughs. Mm-hmm. But it's just time to mm. to set it up, yep. basically. So the the truck. I mean, you basically you tip it out, you shift it each. So I mean, it's yep. getting fresh water in it each time. Yep. Um, just those wee uh, socket type things you push yes. it into, and away it goes. In the video, you, you you demonstrate some of this, but so people can see it. But one of the things you mentioned the micro troughs was you were a wee bit concerned with. I mean. Uh, you're on a um, next to the town, so that impacts it. But lots of people have variable supply. You were worried about pressure and flow and some of that sort of thing because they don't hold a reservoir of water as such. There, no, they don't. Demand. So our water is we're, we're actually on town water supply there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people are middle of summer, when people are watering their gardens on the north end of town, our water pressure drops quite dramatically. Yep. So it, it does concern me that in places that. Mm wouldn't get enough and if they know water is there and it's not there mm. they can get a wee bit destructive yeah yeah so they um they get agitated so before have you always had the portable troughs when you first set your system yes. up yep. yep yeah so you didn't have to make too many changes there to no you know yep bob any observations on water i mean it's fairly important to have a decent corner and bulls will start to get stressed and then all the behavioral issues but I mean, in and of, leave that aside, I mean, good quality, high quality water and a decent quantity is going to impact on live weight gain as well. So yesterday we looked at Richard's system mm. and I encouraged him to not to have the hassle of every day shifting of water mm-hmm. or every couple of days, mm-hmm. whatever it turns out to be. Just because the, the hassle and commitment to having mm. to do that sort of wears you down mm. after a while. It's a bit like watching the farmers who have who shift their fences every day. They mm-hmm. get absolutely sick of it, and some just give up because it's, you know, yeah. it just drives them crazy. And so, I was encouraging Richard to go to micro troughs, uh, or another. There's all sorts of ways of skinning mm. the cat, as Richard observed when he went up north. Mm. Some prefer troughs, and they'll have that you know, with a wire over the top, mm-hmm. or two wires over, and there's a quarter of the trough available to each So that's paddock. a permanent trough? That's a permanent yep. trough. And so, but encouraging farmers to think about permanent water mm. systems rather than ones you shift, because mm-hmm. for the reason, as I mentioned, you just get sick of shifting it, and yeah. I heard that in Richard's voice mm. yesterday. <laughs> well, around the town yeah. water thing, I think probably we need to think about having a reservoir, mm. and so, you know, you, you, you say you've got a, a tank up on the hill there above them, and then that feeds down and it'll get around your town water yeah. problem. So that may be a solution there, Richard. Yep. Um, but yes, cattle need water. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of discussion around this. Um, 
and it is an extra cost when mm. you're setting up your systems. Um, um, but um, it's something to do at the beginning. Mm. Now, if we're thinking about setting up a cell system, when well, we've done lots of them, um, and depending on how much effort you're prepared to put on yourself, they sort of vary from $700 to $1,200 a hectare mm-hmm. um, to, to put uh, in a system. Now, this you know, a 10 or 15 uh, paddock permanent system with water in every one of those permanent paddocks. Yep. Now, the issue comes when you're in winter and you're shifting, and when you're on an all-grass system, um, some are of the view that because you've got 85% of the pasture represented in water, because it's only mm. got a 15% dry matter mm-hmm. percentage, there's a lot of water in that pasture already. And if you're shifting on the dew in the morning, you get an extra little mm-hmm. bit. And so mm. some are satisfied with that. Um, there is a question around that, mm. of course. Um, and there are some farming corporates that dictate that cattle must have Access, well, livestock mm. must have water uh, access to water every day, mm. no matter what. And so, and and you know, it does beg the question around animal welfare. But yeah. you know, there are systems out there that, that where the cattle only get water every, say, two to four days, rather than every day, mm-hmm. um, and they work quite effectively. Am I recommending it? No, um, but you can get away with it as a needs must as you start off. Yeah. Mm. Could I just thinking? For the microtrophs, what would it be like just running that alkathene on top of the ground? Because the reason being, directly under my fences, there's wire control wires for the fixed grid. So could I just run the wire along um, alkathene on top of the ground, yep. just hand dig it in where the microtroph is, yep. and carry on? That would be yes. In fact, ninety percent of the systems operate like that. All of the technos just have. The, the the water line on top of the ground, and right. it's amazing how the pasture grows around that, and you don't even see it. Yeah. And now the you know there's the in ground microtroph, and there's the one that stands up, and I've got clients prefer the one that stands up rather than the one that's in ground. Oh right. Yeah. So you, that's something to go and have a look at. So if you flick on to the Kiwi Tech site, you mm-hmm. can have a look at that. That's the only place I know of where you can get that um, equipment. Mm. Mm. So what's the preference for the above ground ones versus the in ground ones? Is that um, it's just easy. I think it's just ease of access to mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. It's more visual. You can sort of see it, and somebody looking from the road, for example, mm. would see actually they have got water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some have been criticised for oh, those cattle haven't had water, sort yeah. of type thing, but. But that's not the reason for doing it. Um, I think it's just farmers, some farmers have found the stand-up ones more practical than the ground okay. ones. Hmm. But I think um, you know, some of those things, animal welfare and perception of how we're looking after animals, we but just can't ignore about them. We, can't we, we do them. need mm. to. Mm. But bring it back into a practical basis. I mean, are you aware, I've seen bits of work where yeah, adequate water and good quality water does have a bottom line figure in terms of oh, lightweight gain productivity right as well. Very much so. Yeah. And, um, yep. Yeah. No, no argument. We can sort of get away with it in the in the winter months, as I say, with high um, percentages mm-hmm. or low dry matter percentages. Yeah. <clears throat> we don't need as much, but as soon as the heat comes on, cattle are looking for water. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Are that, is that? I mean, you're talking reasonably small mob sizes, and if you're wondering about that, listen to the first couple of podcasts. We've talked about that in some depth. Um, the microtrophs are, st- are able to keep up. I mean, it's it's a it's a flow, a quantity yeah. thing. You don't get um, it's a small area, and you get animals competing for them. That's not causing major social issues with the bulls. No, it'd be great to take some videos of big bulls lining up for water in a queue 
in the summer yeah. is amazing. Um, and like they, they get out of no aggression. They're not no, fighting over it. They just no, it they is want. bizarre how well they um, uh, behave. So is it just here hierarchy that dictates where you are on that line? Possibly, um, yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. Actually, seeing it is yeah, quite amazing. Yeah, because I've seen dairy cows when the water runs out, and it's every cow for herself. Oh, yeah. So I just want to say though that when you're setting that up, you I mean you obviously can't run 25 mil or 15 mm-hmm. mil pipelines into um, satisfying yep. a, a water requirement like this. It needs to be properly engineered, and. Um, and so you do need big pipes. It's just like um, shifting electric current around, you need reasonably big uh, wires to yep. get um, good current. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same principle. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, one of the other things touching on, this is just around some specifics and technical stuff, is around fertiliser application and so on. So uh, without, I mean, everybody should be soil testing, making their plans based on that. Richard, you use a bit of urea in the system, though, just in autumn? To... Um, I have been, yep. yeah, this last past autumn mm-hmm. just to try and promote that growth yep uh, probably looking forward this year um, when this start going into that vegetative state mm. I'll start putting it on just mm-hmm. a little but try and keep it and normally a wee bit in with your capital fertilizer as well just um, to... well I've been putting that on it's sort of generally gone on that November December yep. so yes I have given it just again try and keep it vegetative yes. and so on yep. but you do mention in one of the videos are you talking about sort of changing timing of capital applications with cattle all over the bloody place um, I did think about just putting it on um, before they go down into that system yep um, start of August that yeah. yeah unfortunately that didn't happen this year so it does get a wee bit tricky yeah because you got you know so many basically 120 animals and 30 hectares mm. to make sure that you do that strip. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the leave aside, we're not talking about soil science and the fertiliser management. Again, we've got a couple of podcasts on that if you're looking for something to listen to, people. But, um, you know, Bob, there are issues around putting fertiliser on feed in front of animals and having to wait a certain amount of time, which in a cell-type system can be a bit of a, a pain. Mm. So the first primary challenge is that you know, conventional application of fertiliser with trucks um, mm. is challenging. Um, but look, you're generally making that much more money. It's, it's a small <laughs> difference yep. between flying a plane over and and putting a truck mm. uh, ground spreading. Um, but I guess one of the things I'd like to comment on, say nitrogen, for example. Mm-hmm. So we try not to have a nitrogen dependency type thing where we program it in. Yep. We say it's in the toolkit. And it's a great way of filling a feed gap. In fact, it's the best way of filling a feed gap. And so we know that's the most efficient way to grow some extra pasture dry matter. But we tend to have it in the kit rather mm. than just using it generally. Yep. Um, and then the other thing, which has caught a few out, is suddenly, you know, when you put a system in, I have not seen one that hasn't doubled production and profit. Not one mm-hmm. that I've seen going hasn't doubled production and profit. For the reasons we talked about before, you grow more grass. Yep. You know, and you've got an efficient system. And so you're taking double the amount of production off. So you have to think about doubling up on your fertiliser as well. So this is something you talk to your Mm -hmm. fertiliser advisor about. Um, And they need to be aware that, you know, your farm might be producing on average 200 kilos of net carcass weight a hectare, but off your systems you're taking 400. And that's not an unusual figure. And so you need to be considerate of that mm. when you set up your fertiliser program each year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good point. 
what are the other things? I guess you know some of these things. We're not. We will be preaching to the converted in a way. There'll be people who have been farming bulls and farming very successfully. But there's probably others that are getting into it or thinking about it. So and. It's interesting the little things that have come up in discussion, and one of the ones, and you might want to explain this, Bob. Richard's fences are too high. <laughs> well, not, I, I may have paraphrased that, but I mean this is a little technical thing around the the electric lanes and some of the issues around just day to day management getting around, and including putting fertilizer on. Because mm. Richard, it, it's a bit of a tricky one here because the fertilizer operators don't have many bull cell systems to no, fertilize, they so they're not set up for driving over fences. And that exactly. Kind of yes, that's a great question. Um, well, I'd never thought of it, but you <laughs> mentioned it, so I can't, I can't so take Richard credit. So Richard mentioned before, like, you know, he observed in a lot of the farms he went and looked at, they actually drive over the fences on mm. their quads, uh, and they've got a little system, that, um, a little kit that they put on their yep. quads to enable that to happen, just meaning the wires can pass under the quad as you mm-hmm. drive, and you can drive over at speed. It's amazing. Mm. And uh, you can set that up on your ute, and while I'm remembering... Um, on areas that are prone to snowfalls, like the central plateau, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm thinking orangutan in particular, they have got a tractor and a silage wagon set up to drive over fences. Mm. And so if those systems go into snow, which they can two or three times a year, they can, they can deliver some uh, feed to those mobs easily just by driving across the fences and dropping into the paddock as they go. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So the key is um, there's a fence height issue. Yeah, fence height. Um, can't have it too high, yeah. but you have the, the springs at the strainers, basically. Oh, yes, that's yeah, a good point. So, again, there's some really cool mm. technology, mm. and, again, you can look at that. Um, I don't know anywhere else you can look at this. I'm quite happy to suggest that yep. people look at the KiwiTech site, mm-hmm. so just Google KiwiTech, and you'll see all that technology there. It's amazing. I mean, Harry Weir is an absolute genius mm. in coming up with all this stuff, and he's been researching mm. this for years and years. And so the springs are fantastic in the wires because, you know, just as in a practical example, you can grab a hold of a fence um, and walk five metres into a paddock just you know, yep. pulling the wire out with you. That's how much flex in the mm. fence. So if a ball gets pushed into mm. a fence, for example, you'll carry that wire with them, continue to get the shock, but not break the wire. Mm. Um, and then from a point of view of travelling over on your uh, quad or whatever with the kit, um, that gives it a little bit more flexibility as you as you mm. ping across them. Mm. Yeah, no, the the, the uh, um, ease of just being able to drive over wires and get around, which is going to make the whole job easier, was one thing. But yeah, when you point, you know, for bulls fighting and pushes into the wire, it's going to yeah. give rather than yeah. give or snap. So, but yes, making the point that you do, you mostly you can, you, people can set up these systems yep. to spin nitrogen on with a quad, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that if you have got the kit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, there are some disadvantages with having a whole lots of electric wires around. Yeah, but yeah. there are solutions to all of those challenges. So at the moment, you can't just drive over the top. No, of the I can't. So you've got to go back no. and forth. And, and hindsight, maybe I should have set it mm. up. You're not going to go back and retrofit it. Um, I'll look at doing it in the <laughs> next area. So Richard's used Waratah standards, yep. and they've got a whole lot of adjustments. So you could easily mm. just slide them down, Richard, and you'd be back into a fence site where you could do that. Yes. Be, yeah. Be no real cost, a bit of time. No. Mm. And ne- next area I'm going to do, I'll put the, the fibercast standards because yeah. shit, they're amazing. Mm. Yeah. Very good. What else? What other little practical tips and tricks like that? Are there any we missed? We're just sort of thinking of some bits and pieces that people are... Um, we talked about the system, making the decision, but some of it's just this day-to-day stuff that can make your life easier and safer and more profitable. Mm. 
the people do talk about the danger of bulls, mm-hmm. and you do have to be mindful um, in your health and safety plan mm-hmm. when you've got people coming around that they are aware that bulls can mm-hmm. be dangerous as they move up over 500 kilos. And you know, in the spring, as they start to hump up and stuff, and really believe they're big boys on the block. Mm. And you know, when you've got a lot of bulls, you're bound to get somebody in there that's angrier than the rest. Mm. And mm. so you just need to be mindful of that and uh, be careful. Mm. Um, but, but you know, that again, when you've got knowledge amongst a group that can be shared about how you manage those sorts of things. So Richard shared with us how he handled a difficult bull that he yep. had, and other farmers will share with you how they handle those mm. sorts of things. But you do, you, you know, you do need to take special mm. care um, around bulls. But another perhaps interesting thing, and you know, this is a quick aside, um, in looking at progression over how people have evolved these sorts of things over time, you know, I've had farmers that say, I'm not going to farm those Frisian bulls. I'll just keep the, my bull calves, my entire, mm-hmm. from my breeding cows and put them in the systems and stuff. And they've done that, and it works. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, 9 out of 10 of them that I've worked with have said they'd rather have Frisian bulls than traditional bulls. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is they are quiet. They're hand-reared. Oh, the Frisian oh, bulls yep. yep. are hand-reared, yeah. yep. you know, and they come through, and they're quite, and they can be just yeah. as aggressive as a, as a traditional bull, of course, when they get to be big boys on the block. But by but, and large. Uh, by and large, uh, all things considered, the hand-reared Frisians uh, are easier proposition mm. than um, perhaps some of our uh, other yep. sorts of bulls, and more particularly like when you get um, some crossbred bulls with exotic over traditional mm, and stuff yes. like that, some of those bulls can be quite fiery. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, is the feeding them well, the mob sizes, that sort of thing. There will be individuals that are um, troublemakers for whatever reason. You can try and manage that, but I mean, ultimately, do, is it sometimes better to cut your losses and that bull gets an early trip to the works? Or yes, you that? can do stuff like that, um, or you could just you know pay a special attention yeah. to that. And it's a hazard on your farm mm. if you've got one particular bull on a mob. It just needs to be identified, and people that are coming onto your farm that are unaware of it need mm. to be made aware of it. So it's just one of those extra things to be mindful mm. of. Mm. Good. All right. That's a few tips and tricks and um, lessons from experience. Anything we've missed or you thought you want to... Any, any bits of paper we haven't addressed there, Bob? Or a wrapper up? He's made I a bunch. I think we've pretty well got there. Can't have been much on TV last night. You've been making a whole lot <laughs> of notes on the hotel news. Um, uh, paper. We didn't talk about sourcing calves, and and you have in other videos. But I'd just like mm. to encourage people um, to like Richard's got a great system. So he's got his dairy mm-hmm. herd, and he sources most of his calves from there, and he's thoughtful about where he gets the rest of his calves from. And I just want to encourage um, yep. uh, bull farmers to be thoughtful about that. There's a great podcast to go and have a look at. Some great mm-hmm. knowledge you guys have generated yep. in beef and lamb. So have a look at those because there's some good tips mm. in there. Um, but like it's a general um, thing, yep. just to say, you you know, um, you can just say to hell with it. I'll, I'll just work it through, and if I get it, I'll deal to yep. it. Or you can be a little bit more deliberate. Mm. So for example, if you are purchasing calves on contract, and I encourage people to do that to purchase their calves on contract. Um, you can go to those calf rearers that are more mm. thoughtful about where they source their calves from. Mm-hmm. And so these are from closed herds, and there's a great example in the Waikato with Mark Bocock, how he handles mm-hmm. that. There are others that do the same, it's not just him. Um, 
but it's a great example where he is really, really thoughtful about where he sources milk and where he sources mm. carbs, because we know that milk is a major yep. uh, yeah, yep. transmitter of uh, embovis from property mm. to property. Now it's actually on the calendar to do yeah. a, an update on the dairy beef project yeah. and Mark's name has come up or something so I think yeah. I'll, A we will cover it but I want to probably do it in more depth so we're going to, um, apart from the, you know, the, the general list you've got there, the, the key thing is I know we have had people, particularly in bull systems and that who go oh it's relatively benign and yeah. they'll get killed anyway but yeah. um, next problem might not be so benign and this has been a bit of a, a learning exercise for us and having good systems in there and you're raising your finger again so you've got another point oh, you thought of. I've just come to mind that um, with building these systems some may be thinking oh it's a straitjacket I can mm. only run bulls in them but let me tell you you can run anything in them it's just a mm-hmm. system a way of better managing cattle yeah and I've got some that have set them up such that uh, the so we talk about what a mm. system is, you know, seven to ten hectares. There's actually a sheep proof fence around mm-hmm. the seven to ten hectares, and there's just single wires within uh, the system. So for the permanent yep. paddocks within electric fence paddocks, mm-hmm. that means they can bring lambs into those systems. For example, mm-hmm. a summer lamb system to overlay, um, uh, or or sheep or mm. whatever. Um, and, and the other thing to say is that you can put steers and heifers mm. in these in just the same way. In fact, um, I'm encouraging my clients to think about that. And we might operate just a bit bigger systems, mm-hmm. and, and we're, we're starting to work into that now. So, um, yep. so we'll run bigger mobs, because uh, this is a needs must on a labour basis, mm. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that whilst there's still a social hierarchy within steer and, and uh, heifer mobs, um, we can get away with a bit, bit with bigger mobs of those, and therefore we can run bigger systems, yep. but apply the same principles yep. and enjoy the same increase mm-hmm. in pasture production. Grass um, grows grass, and all regular, grass. Yeah, regular shifts, regular feed. Yeah, all of that. Mm. Richard, any last comments, things we've forgotten you wanted to cover before we wrap up? No, no, thank you. It's been good. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time and effort. And, and well, you didn't really have a choice in the no. he had to share the <laughs> you got. But um, look, I will wrap it up there. As I say, um, Bob's referred to it. There's a couple of other podcasts that expand on some of the dairy beef stuff as well. Um, and we are going to update that soon because there's been some new work come out of it. But for now, I'm going to wrap this up. By all means, uh, by the time these go live or very soon thereafter, the video should be also available online where you can see Richard in person talking about some of this stuff. But um, thanks very much for your time, Richard, for coming and sharing um, your thoughts and observations and some of your questions, and to Bob as well for um, sharing your experience. And we will wrap it up because you're about to have to jump in your rental car and head off to talk to yet another bunch of farmers. So thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Hmm.